This morning I want to look at, I'm going to actually back up a little bit, yeah, and we did cover part of this last week, um, but I do want to look at it again, John chapter 3. I'm going to kind of, kind of zero in on verses 6 through 9 this morning. And um, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would grant us understanding, that you would grant us uh, that ability to comprehend and to hear that which the Spirit would say to each of us in this passage this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Spirit that we might receive from you. Fill me with your Spirit that you might speak through me. We thank you, Lord, for this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And, Lord, that it would be... uh, helpful to us this morning and 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 that your word would be blessed uh, to our hearts we pray this in jesus name and everyone said amen in the third verse of this chapter where jesus responds to nicodemus and he says truly truly i say to you unless someone is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god uh, that that's like the focus of this entire chapter and that's the and he's everything else that Jesus says is really unpacking that particular statement. This idea of of the necessity of being born again, of being born from above, and then he essentially repeats it in verse five. But he notice that he shifts a little bit. He says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God." So he says it a second time. First, he's talking about being born again or born from above. And then the, the, the second time he's talking about being born of water and spirit, which I believe is a, he, the, those two elements, water and spirit, are in the grammar. There is a conjunction. They are meant to be together. Notice that in your new King James, you probably have, he is born of, the, of uh, water and the spirit. The word the is not in the original Greek. That definite art is only one article, that governs both water and spirit. So it means that the, the two of them are supposed to come together. Um, and so there's this idea of being, and I talked about water and spirit last week, and I'm not going to repeat that. Um, I actually, somebody told me that they had quite the lengthy discussion. Too bad they didn't record that for me to listen to. But, uh, but nonetheless, uh, I, I think, again, the water referring to the purity, really re- tapping into the book of Ezekiel, uh, and this idea where he will sprinkle clean water on us and fill us with his spirit and, and this prophecy that he's giving to Israel and by implication, I believe, belongs to us as well as the church. And, and so he's telling us here that like things begat like things, where he says flesh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. He's making a contrast again, talking about two different births, uh, here and and Paul, as I mentioned last week, John uses the word flesh differently than Paul does. When Paul talks about the flesh, by the way, it's the same Greek word sarx, s-a-r-x. Um, Paul uses it in the context of the flesh or our evil nature. John uses it differently. He uses it more in the context of, of, 
our, our natural humanity. That is, our, really even referring to our human frailty, our human weakness, our human finiteness. Um, that which, and Job talks about this in Job 34, that which is mortal um, and has been created out of the dust and will return to the dust. And uh, so John is using this word flesh differently than what Paul does. I would say the equivalent, follow me on this one, the equivalent of what Paul is talking about when he talks about uh, humanity is when in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where he says the natural man does not receive the things of God. John is, I believe, talking about, when he's talking about the flesh, he's talking about the natural man rather than the, the, that evil nature of us. It's a, it's a subtle difference, but I think it's an it's a important distinction that we, we need to make. And, and so that which is born of flesh, of the earth, natural person, natural man, natural humanity, becomes natural humanity. So people beget people. Animals beget animals. I, I, I don't think I need to belabor the point. But, but he makes this distinction because he has already told Nicodemus that he has to be born again. Nicodemus isn't tracking. He's really not picking up what Jesus is putting down here. He, he, now, he has not read the first two chapters of the Gospel of John. So we have that advantage of, of we've already looked at these first two gospels or the first two chapters of this gospel and, and we're able to, to grab a little bit better context of, of what Jesus is really talking about. In, uh, in John chapter 1, uh, just to refresh your memory, John chapter 1, right around verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So here we have, what I find this to be fascinating, and I still haven't really thought this through, and I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to think this through, but the God of creation, the God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Yahweh, becomes flesh so that we might be born of the Spirit. And that fascinates me. I don't know what to do with that yet, but I, it just... It really kind of, one of the things that just leaped off the page to me as I was looking at this earlier last week is, is this incredible ministry, this incredible act, we call it the incarnation, where God becomes flesh. God the Son comes in the flesh, be, takes on human nature. Philippians tells us he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he, he, uh, he uh, took on the form of what? A servant. And so we have this opportunity because God came in the flesh to be born again of the Spirit. So being born of the Spirit, being born again, becoming a Christian, asking Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior to me, it's all talking about the same thing. And, I, and again, even in my head, I just gravitated back to it. It's the new birth. It is what Paul called the new creation. We become a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New or a new, as the King James, I believe, says. 
And, and so there is this necessity, if we are to see the kingdom of God, is that we have to have a new birth. We have to have a new experience with God. We, we have been born of flesh, but we also have to be born of the Spirit. Which, of course, is talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And so, what, what I found fascinating, too, is because John, Jesus will later tell us in the Gospel of John that the, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak of his own. He will speak of that which the Father and the Son essentially instruct him or lead him to speak. He will speak of Jesus. Right? You guys are aware of this. You know this. But who is Jesus speaking about here? Speaking about the Holy Spirit. And the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Actually, I like calling the Holy Spirit God the Holy Spirit because that's who he is. Some groups believe that he's some kind of essence. Kind of like a fog machine, you know, the fog, the fog that comes out of a fog machine. No, he is the third person of the Trinity. To me, he's incredibly mysterious. And, and Jesus is even going to say that in this. We've already read it in this particular passage. But that which is born of flesh is born uh, of flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Thank you. And so we receive a new nature. I find that to be fascinating because in the incarnation, God received a new nature. Some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? He took on flesh, did he not? He took on humanity, did he not? Is he now forever both God and man? How does that work? I don't know. I was thinking about, and fuses started to pop when I was thinking about this, but I was thinking about this earlier again last week, and I wonder, because the thing is, and part of what I want to even talk about today is, is really the God that I really don't understand all that well. Okay, I've got some attention. I've got some people's attention. And if we really, and it goes back to what an old friend of mine told me. If we really understood everything about God, would he really be worthy of our worship? Particularly in our finite natural flesh understanding? Would he really be worthy of our worship? And is that separation between God and humanity? Now, yes, God came and became flesh, but isn't that separation between God and humanity necessary? Even though Paul, excuse me, the other uh, Peter, says we we take on what? The divine nature? which is, there's a lot, boy, I could really go off on that this morning, but I'm not. But when we are born again of the Spirit, we are a new creation, Paul says. We already referred to it. And we take on an additional nature. We're human, flesh, but with the new birth, we are also spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 6 and other passages, the Holy Spirit does what? He dwells inside of us. God the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
You are the building. He dwells in you. That fascinates me. But of course, obviously, if he dwells in you, and he dwells in me, and he dwells in other churches that are meeting right now, people in those churches, obviously he is omnipresent, which is what? A divine attribute. It's a divine attribute. Everywhere, all at once. How does he do it? I think I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father, how do you do this? And they're probably just going to laugh and tell me to run along, you know. But it, it just it amazes me. The incredible otherness, the incredible awesomeness of the triune God. And we have been born of the Spirit, if we have been born again. If we have asked Jesus Christ into our life, if we prayed to receive him as our Lord and Savior, asking him to forgive us of our sins, we are born in the Spirit. We are born again. We are born from above. We are a new creation. And because of that, we're to walk in a different paradigm than the flesh. We're to walk in a different paradigm than the world. We're called to live lives differently. We're called to live spiritual lives. We are really called, in essence, to live, do I dare say it, supernatural lives, even if it's expressed naturally. So don't be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. I trust, I am, I, I really, I, that's where I ended last week. This idea of not being amazed. But, okay, let's, let's, let's put yourself in Nicodemus' place just for a moment. You're a Pharisee, which means what? First of all, you know your Bible. You know, you know your Holy Scriptures. And you know them well. You, and Jesus also said he is what? The teacher, not a. The definite article is there, by the way, in that passage. He is the teacher of Israel. So he is a... Uh, well, I won't go there. Uh, somebody ask me later if you really want to know. Anyway. Um, but he is the teacher, and yet... He comes to Jesus at night. He doesn't know what to make of him. He doesn't really understand other than the fact that the Holy Spirit, I believe, is bearing witness to Nicodemus that this person is from God because no one can do these things unless God is with him. Which he tells Jesus that. And Jesus skips over that completely and says, you must be born again. He must have had his mind blown at that moment and, and struggling and trying to figure this out and, and, and probably very amazed, probably very confused. And then Jesus comes around and says to him, don't be amazed. Ever have Jesus tell you that? <laughs> 
You know, what I love in the gospel stories is, is when Jesus shows up on the scene and the, the disciples are just about to, just about to lose it, right? And, and he says to them what? Do not be afraid. Why does he say that to them? Because they are afraid. You see that? Do not be amazed. That is a calling out of the anxiety of, I just don't get it. And it's a calling toward a posture of saying, okay, Lord, you need to teach me. Because there's a lot of things. The more I read the Bible, the less I get it, to be honest with you. And, and have you ever, in, in your daily reading, now I realize we're on a, all on a time schedule, retired or not. We're all on a time schedule, aren't we? Right? Some of you are retired and you're busier than you ever were. Um, before you retired, right? But do you ever come across in your daily reading, you come across something you just don't get what you're reading? I do. What do you do at that point? No, I just don't remember this, and it says, and I just, I'm going to go to the next verse because I do like that one, and I understand it, and I feel good because I've read the Bible. The Bible does not cease to amaze me. Because God's word is just that beyond me. Again, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, set 1 Corinthians 2.14, I touched on it earlier, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so when I come across those areas that I do not understand, I ask God to give me understanding. Now, does he always give it to me right then there? No. Been there, huh? And you're like, okay, well, I guess we're on hold. Um, but what I've, you ever, do you like being on hold, by the way? You know, I'm trying to think of which company that I call, and it's like I can guarantee an hour. Uh, you know, I thank God for speaker phones, seriously, because they're not the standard and hold the stupid thing, right? But, but, but nonetheless, when God puts you on hold, I wasn't planning on going here, but I'm here, so let's just talk about this a moment. When God puts you on hold, it is because he has other things he desires to instruct you, to show you, to minister to you, to invite you into other than the original question. We read it earlier, Psalm 40. Psalm 40 was powerful. God, you got, I want you guys to read that. Um, Read it as much as you want. I'm going to read it every day next week, this week. Uh, you do what you want with it. But I, I, let me encourage you to read it because I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Isn't that the story of our lives? Yeah. And I'm constantly amazed. But at that place of amazement, and I've shared this with you before, I remember talking with this one woman one time, she said, oh, that stuff's just too hard for me, I don't want to know it. That's what she said, it's too hard for her. I was so tempted. Then stay a spiritual midget. Seriously. Sometimes pressing into the things of God 
are not easy. And they require something of us. And if you're like, see, we live in a culture that we're not a patient culture. We want it now. Or we want it all, and we want it now, as Freddie Mercury sang about. But God is looking to do something in our souls that patience and waiting and pursuing the things of God really require if we're really going to achieve the depth of spirituality that he desires for each of us to get to. And I don't know you, but I'm still on my way. I'm still getting there. All right. I've got a long ways to go. But so do you. How's that? All right. So we're all equal here. Some of us more than others. Okay, never mind. Um, but don't be amazed. I'm going to read verse 8 a little differently, and then I will correct myself. I'm going to use the Greek word pneuma for wind. The Greek word pneuma is the word that's translated wind, breath, and also spirit. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word ruach, R-U-A. Some people put a C and then an H. Some people just go R-U-A-H, which means spirit, breath, or wind. The pneuma blows where it wishes. You do not hear the sound of it, and you do not know where it is coming from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the pneuma, which is the Greek word for spirit, which is also the Greek word for wind, which is also the Greek word for breath. It's interchangeable. So what is going on here? What is Jesus trying to tell us here? He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you do not hear the sound of it. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the wind, right? The wind that blows around out there. Now, keep in mind, they did not watch Katie Zuniga and whatever that TV show is for the, the meteorologists, right? They didn't understand meteorology then like they do now. You know, and you get these big maps, we're out of the Gulf of Alaska, and you guys are going to freeze next week, that kind of stuff, right? Okay. They, they didn't understand that. It says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who has been born in the Spirit. Who is everyone who is born of the Spirit? You guys and me. Think about what Jesus is saying here. Now, I go outside. It was so much fun. I had a friend come and visit. Well, it was an interesting visit. I had a friend come visit, and he's like, yeah, in about 45 minutes, you're going to get poured on. You're going to get poured on. This was early last week. About 45 minutes. I'm like, who died and left you the meteorologist, right? I live on this side of the mountain. You don't. 45 minutes, I'm still outside. An hour, hour and a half, three hours. It never did rain. And I knew that because I 
lived here for 19 years. I look up to the sky, and I can pretty much get an idea. But as I'm standing there in my front yard, the wind's coming from here, then it's coming from here, then it's going there, then it's coming from there. You ever notice that? And it's like, wow, it's moving all around. So the wind blows where it wishes. Some translate this, the spirit blows where it wishes. Because the word pneuma in the New Testament, most of the time it is translated spirit. Okay? But what I think is going on here is Jesus is using the wind, the characteristics of the wind as an analogy for the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. The imagery, to me, is very clear. And what Jesus is underscoring here is the divinity, the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. And from our perspective... All right, don't, don't miss this or you're going to think I'm a heretic. Maybe you already do. But anyway, from our human perspective, the Holy Spirit is unpredictable. Now, from the divine perspective, the perspective of the Trinity, is the Holy Spirit unpredictable? No, he's not. He knows exactly what he's doing. And, and, and in working in concert with the two other members of the, of the Holy Trinity. But to us, he's very unpredictable. To him, he's very normal. And that, that's, that, if you think about what I just said, that's, that, there's a lot there to really give some thought to. And, and because the same person, we were talking, and we were talking about another friend who had had this spiritual experience and in and, 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 church service and I'm not going to tell you what or where I'm just because that's not important but he was talking about how the Holy Spirit came upon him and 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 uh, some things happened and the guy I was talking to said well there 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 are other spirits other spirits that could do that okay well maybe and I didn't think about it then but I thought about it later because this friend of ours, well, knew this guy, he was talking about something, attributing it to the Holy Spirit, and my friend was talking about some, the same thing and trying to attribute it to what? Satan. Which is very close, if you read the Gospels, to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to balance this for, in a moment. The problem with the Holy Spirit, well, the problem with our engagement and understanding of it, there's no problem with the Holy Spirit, right? The problem with our understanding of the Holy Spirit is you can hear the sound of it, the manifestations, but you do not know where it is coming from and you do not know where it is going. What happens is when they hear the sound, when people hear the sound, it basically 
puts us in usually one of two categories. And I've seen this all my life, all right? People will have some type of experience with the Holy Spirit. And other Christians will come along and say, no, that, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. Because they think they know from which or where which the Holy Spirit has come from. Where Jesus here has very clearly said, you don't know where the wind is coming from. You don't know where the Spirit is coming from. And so they will attribute any type of manifestation, any, any, any exercising of the gifts. I, I had it happen here years ago. I exercised a gift. It wasn't tongues, by the way. I exercise a gift. I believe God gave me a word of knowledge during worship one Sunday morning, and somebody later on was like, eh, I don't think that was of God. Okay, well, go somewhere else then. Um, because they thought they knew where the Spirit was coming from. Past tense. God doesn't do that like that. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that today. But then there are others who think every single, single Spiritual experience is of the Holy Spirit because they think they know where the Holy Spirit is going. See, the, see what Jesus is really saying here? And Jesus is saying, you don't know where the wind has come from. You don't know where the wind is going. Because I, I, I talked to another friend because I was really bothered by the first conversation. I talked to another friend, and I said, the funny thing is, and, and, and no, I, I'm not looking for this. But what if the Holy Spirit showed up in such a way that we didn't expect him to show up this morning? And I think often it is we want to then analyze that. Because we're moderns. Everything's going to make sense to us. Everything's going to fit nice, neat, proper categories. And particularly if you've got a book, chapter, and a verse to go with it. And what if the Holy Spirit showed up that way? And I was, how, how many of us would be like, I'm not doing this anymore? Because they believe they know where the wind has come from. And it's not that, right? See the point I'm making? And then how many of us would say, okay, this is the new church now. This is how we're doing things because this is where we're going. So that's why I don't like afterglow services anymore. Because it, do we need a special time to give permission to, for the Holy Spirit to work? See, the thing is, and, and I had this long conversation with my friend, is, is so many people, and, and myself included, uh, we want to control these things, especially as the pastor. And yet the Holy Spirit... He's going to do what he wants. Now often, gosh, I'm going way over, but I think this is important. You all with me, right? Okay, good. Now often, the Holy Spirit works incredibly supernaturally in very natural ways. 
And I think he works in concert with our lives as we go about our lives, ministering to us often in ways that we don't understand or recognize. And to me, just my opinion, your knowledge may vary, I would rather spend time reading the Psalms like we did, twice, by the way, praying the Psalms, reciting the creeds, singing a few. In other words, I'd, like, I'd rather do worship the way we do it than if we had, how do I say, I'm going to be sarcastic just for a moment, instead of having a Holy Ghost hootenanny, as a couple pastors have had called them. Okay? Sorry. <laughs> maybe we'll edit that out. I don't know. Um, maybe I won't put this on <laughs> anyway. But the thing is, guys, is what really struck me. Let me finish this up. We can't tell where the Spirit's been. We can't tell where the Spirit is going. I didn't say that. Jesus did. All right? You hear the sound. You knew something happened. That's the manifestation. You hear the sound. But what that tells me is that the operation of the Holy Spirit is something that maybe we are not quite as qualified as we think we are. And again, I'm going back to that conversation with my friend. He's a good brother. He drives me a little crazy sometimes, but he's a good brother. He lives over on the other side of the mountains, right? And I, I, I tell him something that was outside of his parameters, and he didn't like it. And so he wanted to control a situation where he had never even been with another friend who wasn't even here and try to make some sense of it. And sometimes these things are beyond our understanding my ways are higher than your ways and they are beyond your finding out that's what the prophet isaiah said that's what yahweh spoke through the prophet that was actually god's voice who said that and hopefully that calls us into humility Hopefully that calls us into a place to where I may not understand and I might not even bear witness, all right? Because I have people tell me all the time, God told them. I'm like, okay, whatever, right? And sometimes I resonate with that. Sometimes it doesn't make a lick of sense. But if they want to tell me that God told them, I'm just, that's between you and God, all right? I'm not your intermediary, nor do I want to be, right? But as we hear the sound, I think Nicodemus asked probably the most important question in this whole dialogue, and he says, how can these things be? 
If you notice in this conversation, that's the last thing that's recorded that he said. He didn't say anything else other than that. That was his last statement. How can these things be? What good can come out of Nazareth, right? And what did Andrew say? Come and see. So how can these things be? That might be the best question that we can ask sometimes. And just leave it there and allow the Spirit to eventually, when he's ready, maybe to answer that question for us. Because we don't know where the wind comes from. We can hear the sound of it. And we don't know where it's going. Sounds like walking by faith to me.